You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. There were um, three guys hiking in a forest, and they came up to a, a raging river, like it seemed impossible to cross. But they were standing on some magical purple horn frogs. Like, not that magical. They're five and six, but you know, kind of, kind of magical. And so one of them said, the first guy said, Man, I just, I wish I had, had the muscles to, to cross this river. And, and poof, like massive biceps and shoulders. And he begins to swim across the river. But because of the weight of his newly found muscles, he begins to sink and he's, he's gasping for breath. And it takes him an hour to cross that river, but he gets to on the other side and he's, he's gasping for breath, but he, he made it. He barely made it. The second guy, learning a lesson from the first guy, said, I wish I had strength and the right equipment. Poof, massive biceps, huge shoulders, and a rowboat is in front of him. So he gets in, in the boat and he begins to go, go across this raging river, but the, the flow is too strong and the, the rowboat capsizes. In fact, it capsizes three times on his way across the river and he, he's gasping for breath and he, and he barely makes it. It takes him two hours to cross the, the raging river. So the third guy, taking a lesson from the first guy and the second guy, says, I, I wish for strength and the right equipment and intelligence. And poof, he turns into his wife. <laughs> y'all make sure, y'all tell my wife I said this story today. And she reads the map and there's a bridge a few hundred yards away. She crosses the river in 45 seconds. Sometimes, way to go ladies. Sometimes it is good to see life and maybe a story or any situation from a different perspective. Probably more than likely when we talk about Christmas, you have always heard the Christmas story from, from Mary's perspective or Joseph's perspective or the innkeeper's perspective, even though there's no innkeeper mentioned in the Bible or the wise men's perspective or the shepherd's perspective. But have you ever thought about heaven's perspective on Christmas? Like what was happening in the heavenly realms? What was happening in the kingdom of God in heaven while the Christmas story begins to unfold here. And we've heard the, the Christmas story according to Matthew before and the Christmas story according to Luke before, but, but what about the Christmas story according to Jesus? Now, before you think I have skipped over Thanksgiving, stay with me this morning and go with me please to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse one, I encourage you to bring a copy of God's word with you on Sunday mornings. If you forgot your copy today, I imagine a nice person next to you would be very glad to share. It'll always be on the screen behind me. You can go to your app on your phone as long as you're not easily distracted by your phone. And let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1 with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Let's, let's see Christmas from a brand new perspective. The, the story of Christmas according to Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, 
it, meaning the law, can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Don't close your Bible. Verse Verse 1, it says here there's a, a shadow of the good things, and yet those shadows, it's not the true form of, of the realities. When you think about a shadow with me for just a, a second, a, a shadow, you can kind of see what it is, maybe the outline, like a, like a silhouette, and yet it's not the actual thing. The, the thing that is shadowed, the thing that is making the silhouette, it perhaps is not actually there for you to see in what the Bible calls its, its true form, its, its form of Reality. It's like me seeing a, a picture of my wife Jennifer, and the difference between seeing a picture of my wife Jennifer and seeing my wife Jennifer. One is a shadow, one is an outline, one is one dimensional, but the other is a true form of, of reality. It's like having a, a cookbook. And seeing what the meal is supposed to look like and knowing all the ingredients and knowing everything about that meal is the difference between a shadow and reality of, of having a cookbook that shows a picture of the meal and actually eating that meal. That is, that is reality. Um, shadow and reality is like playing football on PlayStation 4 or like watching a really good football game like let's say Baylor University of Texas, you know, recently like a really good football game. Wow, there's only four Baylor fans in this room today. Amazing. It's like the difference between playing PlayStation 4 football and watching a really good football game like Baylor and UT last night. Okay. So make sure you're all awake and had actually watched ESPN last night to see what really happened. In the Old Covenant, we see this shadow. But in the New Covenant, the New Testament, we see a a reality. The shadow, just look, look at this. Shadows point to a person, but the reality is a person. The shadows point to a hope, but the reality is hope fulfilled. Shadows point to symbolism, but, but reality points to substance. In verse one, we see this picture. One is shadow, the other is reality. And in the shadow of the law, in the shadow of, of the old covenant, the old testimony of God, the Old Testament, there were three things that the people of God longed for. They longed for access to God. They longed for a, a sense of security in their salvation, like assurance of their salvation. And they longed for total and lasting forgiveness. I'm going to say that again, although you'll hear it from me about three more times in the sermon today. What did people in the shadows long for? The people of the old covenant long for? They long for access to God. They longed for a security of their salvation or an assurance of their salvation. And they longed for a complete, total, lasting forgiveness. But in the Old Testament, the old sacrifice, the old covenant way, all we could do is see the shadows of those three things, not the reality. So the old covenant, the law, the Old Testament, it could, it could point to a day where anyone could have access to God, where we could have absolute security and assurance of our salvation, and we could have total, complete, and lasting forgiveness. But all that was happening in the old covenant was, was the shadows of these things. The old covenant could never bring us access, could never truly give us 
security because all throughout the Old Testament, it was a precarious tightrope walk trying to make sure you balanced all 613 codes from the Old Testament. And if you fell off, then were you assured of your salvation? Were you complete in your salvation? Did you feel a, a sense of security in your salvation? And certainly in the Old Testament, as we saw right here in the old way, it was a reminder of our sin, not a total lasting forgiveness of our sin. So in the Old Testament, in the, in the sacrifices, when an animal would be sacrificed, a, a bull or a goat or, or a heifer or a dove or a pigeon, the one who is there for the sacrifice watching on, they would look at that and you would hope that they would say, I'm forgiven, but instead they would look at that and say, I'm still sick. I'm not whole. I'm not complete. I don't have this assurance. I don't have access to God. If you're a note taker, here's what you can write down. First of all, the old covenant sacrifices couldn't erase sin. In fact, they underlined our sin. The animal sacrifices of the old Testament, the old covenant, the first portion of your Bible, they could not erase our sins. In fact, quite the opposite. They tended to underline our sins. Animal sacrifices were not removers of sins. They were reminders of sin. And so every time a worshiper would draw close and desiring access to God and security of their salvation and, and total lasting forgiveness, they were just reminded of their own sin. So it says here in, in this passage that year after year, there was a reminder in verse three, a reminder of their sins every year. Now, the reason the Bible says every year, speaking of Yom Kippur, Yom in Hebrew meaning day, Kippur meaning covering or atonement or forgiveness. In fact, our Jewish friends just celebrated it last month, October 8th, October 9th, as Yom Kippur. And if you're going to Israel today, they, they still celebrate Yom Kippur. Our Jewish friends celebrate Yom Kippur. And in Israel, on, on Yom Kippur, they shut down the airspace above Israel. And they shut down the trains and the buses. And they closed down all the restaurants. They closed down the schools. They closed down the government. They closed down all the businesses. And if you were to ask a devout Jewish woman or man in Israel today. Why, why are you celebrating Yom Kippur? There's no temple. There's no sacrifice. They would say, well, on that day, we go to the synagogue and pray. But if you were to ask them, what about the, the sacrifice? They say, oh, our sacrifice is this. We, we do good for others on that day. That, that is our sacrifice. If you were to ask them, what about the blood sacrifice? Because in Old Testament, New Testament alike, it says without the spilling of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no response. Because you see, even today on Yom Kippur around the world, there's, there's closings, but there's no cleansing. There is ritual, but there's no redemption. Same for us before the first Christmas. Same for the people of God in the old covenant. So here's where humanity was stuck. So if your Bible is still open, these first few verses here, verses one through four, let's, let's look at this and see where we were stuck before Christ came. Let me just give you a little list here. You can write this down or just think about it, consider it this week, or even write it in the margins of your Bible. Here's the first thing. So humanity was stuck, one, living in shadows. That's where we existed before the coming of Christ, living just in the shadow of the good things, just the silhouette. They weren't the true form, the true reality. We were living in the shadow lands. Humanity was stuck. Here's the second thing. We couldn't be made whole. That's what it says in, 
in verse one, it can never by the same sacrifice as those who are, that are continually offered every year make perfect. I think every major Bible translation, it should be in your Bible, uses the word perfect right there or perfected. It's a Greek word that means to be fulfilled or to be made complete or to be made whole or, or completely spiritually satisfied. So before Christ came, this is where humanity was stuck. We were living in the shadows. We could not be made whole. Here's the third thing I want you to see. We were unclean. That's what it says in, in verse two. We, we could not be cleansed. Otherwise, would they not have been ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed? So we were uncleansed. We were unclean. We were stuck in this as humanity. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. We were constantly reminded of our sin on that Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It wasn't a lasting forgiveness. It was a, a, a word of forgiveness offered on our behalf by, by the priest. And so we were constantly reminded of sin. Look at verse two. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Verse three, but in these sacrifices, there's a reminder not an eraser, but a reminder of sins every year. Here's the fifth thing that we see is in verse four, that our sin removal was impossible. This is a pretty stout word, Highland, for it is impossible. Without possibility, absolutely impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. Now just, just look at the screen behind me. Wow, what a desperate place we were in. I mean, what separation, what darkness, what, what hopelessness. Then Jesus, two of my favorite words. Well, I really like, but God also, but then Jesus is pretty good. Then Jesus on the edge of heaven has a conversation with his father. And let me just say, sisters and brothers in the house today, I think this is one of the most sacred passages in all of scripture. It is unique because we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between the son and the father. Rarely do we see this in scripture. In fact, I would say never in scripture do we see it exactly like this, on the edge of heaven, on heaven's edge, there's a conversation, a private conversation between the father and the son. It's a pre-Christmas conversation about the need of a first Christmas. Hebrews chapter 10, verse five. Consequently, let's stop right there. So the word consequently in Greek is the word do, and your Bible might translate that word do as therefore, I would say lovingly, that's a wimpy translation of Dio. Sorry, all you NIVers who I think it says therefore right there. Consequently makes a whole lot more sense because the word consequently means in consequence to what we just read. Not just because that just happened, but as a consequence of what we just read. What did we just read? We were hopeless. We had no access to God. Our forgiveness was not total. Our forgiveness was not complete. We had no security or assurance of salvation. Consequently, when Christ comes into the world, he said. And here's what Jesus is gonna do in this conversation. I love this. He's gonna pull Psalm chapter 40 and quote Psalm chapter 40 to God. Can I just do a little side teaching note and say, anytime you don't know what to pray, pray God's word. Anytime you're uncertain of what to say to God, then go back to God's word because Jesus used the scripture to communicate 
to the Father. So if you're here today and you struggle praying, you're struggling knowing how to pray, what to pray for, let me say this. Anytime you pray God's word, you always pray God's will. So you can go back to scripture and use scripture as a launching pad, as a, as a platform to speak to God. This is what, what Jesus does. He's gonna use Psalm chapter 40 to talk to his father. And let's read verse five again. Consequently, when Christ comes to the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings, you speaking to the father, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure So then I said, Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, parenthetically saying they are offered according to the law. Then Jesus added, behold, I have come to do your will. He, Jesus, does away with the first in order to establish the second. Now, just in those small, that small passage, those few verses, we see some of the richest understandings of Christ in all the New Testament. I didn't put this on the screen. This week, I just kind of started going through those verses and started writing out, man, where, where is Jesus and who is Jesus and what is Jesus all about? You might can make your own list this week. In fact, a lot of you look like you're looking for some more homework to do this week. So this would be your homework. Just go through some passages, especially in Hebrews, and begin to write out who Jesus is. Here's here's what I wrote down. Number one, he's eternal, and he existed before Bethlehem. How do we know this? Because Bethlehem has not happened yet. And here's Christ, who is eternal, having a conversation with the Father. Day one for Jesus was not Bethlehem. He has existed uncreated before time even began. The Old Testament, here's the second thing we see. The Old Testament is written about him. You see what it said in verse seven? Jesus says, all these things, it is written about me in the scroll. Or your Bible might say in the volume of the book, which is referring back to the Old Testament. Jesus says, everything in there is written about me. That's why we say here at Highland often when we're studying the Old Testament, you can find Jesus on every page. Here's the third thing I see about Jesus in this passage. He is separate from the Father but he is God. There are two people having a conversation in heaven. I love this. Here's something else that maybe I had not thought about until this week going through this passage. Jesus knows the heart of God. He knows the heart of his father. Oh, look in verse five, look in verse six. This is Jesus speaking to the father. He said, in, in, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you, understanding the heart of God, you have taken no pleasure. Uh, beginning of verse or middle of verse five, sacrifices and offerings. God hears, he understands the heart of the father. You have not desired. Jesus understood the heart of God. This is what Jesus said in the gospels. When you've seen me, you've seen the father. When you've seen my character, when you've heard my words, you've seen the character of God and the words of God. Here's the next thing I wrote down. Jesus is more than a prophet or a teacher because he understands he's coming as a sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice, a, a lamb without blemish, blemish. And we see in this passage right here that when Christ came, he understands that he's coming as a sacrifice once and for all. This might be a good place for me to say, Highland, we are not saved by the example of Christ. We are saved by the blood of Christ. He does not come as a prophet to be sacrificed. He does not come as a, as a teacher to be sacrificed. He comes as the perfect lamb of God, the perfect son of God to be a perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. Here's the last thing I wrote down from this passage. Jesus is the broker of a new covenant. 
Did you see this in verse nine? Jesus is gonna set aside the old covenant, set aside the old way, set aside the old testament, the old testimony, and now build on top of that the new, the new testament of God, the new testimony of God. There's this morning, I wanna, out of this passage, show you three things. And again, note takers, you can write this down, or if you wanna remember these three things, you can do, do so. But here's three things from this passage that I want you to, to see with me this morning. Here's the first one. Jesus saw our desperation over his own position. Jesus saw our desperation. Remember the darkness that we were in? We were living in the shadow lands. It was impossible for our sin to be forgiven. Jesus saw our desperation over his own position. What was our desperation? Look back in the passage here in verse six. God's not pleased. He was not content. He was dissatisfied. His displeasure in the sin of man was still hot. This puts us in a desperate place. I might even go on the record saying a little deeper than that. It puts us in a dangerous place to be within the scope of the hot displeasure of God. We were in this desperate place, but Jesus saw our desperation. He saw even over his own position. What is the position of Jesus? Well, keep your finger right there in Hebrews chapter 10 and go back maybe three pages and go to Hebrews chapter one with me. Let's see what the position of Jesus is. What what did he look over in order to see our desperation? Go back to Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. This This is rich. This is the position of Jesus. This is who Christ is. Hebrews 1, 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also, he created the world. He is the radiance. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's who Jesus is. If you have a pen, I'm gonna tell you 12 things that he is very quickly. You better write fast on this one. Here's, here's what you can underline very quickly. Look what it says. Who is Jesus? In verse two, he's the son, the son of God. Number two, he has been appointed. He is the appointee. He has been appointed by God as what? Number three, the heir of all things. Fourth thing, through whom he also created the world. That looks really good on a resume. He created the world. Number five, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Number six, he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Number seven, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Number eight, he makes purification. Only Christ can, purification for our sins. Number nine, I love this, he sat down. In other words, it's finished. I've done this. I am the completer of the faith of every woman and man who is in Christ Jesus here today. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high, number 10. He's become much superior to angels, number 11. And he has a name that's even more excellent than theirs. Bottom line, Jesus is in the highest position. And hear this again, Jesus saw our desperation over his own position. This is the amazing love of God, the inexhaustible grace of Jesus. Here's the second thing. You can go back to Hebrews chapter 10 if you want to. The second thing I want you to see in this passage this morning is that Jesus honored his father over his own comfort. 
So not only did, did Jesus see our desperation over his position, but Jesus honored his father over his own comfort. We see this in verse nine, when Jesus says, I have come to do your will. I have come to do what you have longed for, O God, O Father. What is the will of God? The will of God we see in this passage is the coming of Christ and the cross of Christ so that the people of God can be saved. This is the will of God that Christ might be sent, that Christ might be crucified, that through his blood and through his resurrection, the people of God might be saved. But did you know this has always been the will of God? So when Jesus steps up on the edge of heaven and says, I have come to do your will, he knew the heart of his father. He knew the will of the father, which was what? The the coming or the sending of the son and the cross of the son, Jesus Christ. He understood the will of God. This has always been the will of God. The cross has always been the will of God. He knew that the sacrifices made of animals in the old covenant would not cut it. This is why we read in Revelation chapter 13, verse eight, that this was the lamb of God who was slain from what? The foundation of the world. It has always been the will of God to send his son Christ to the cross. So when Christ got ready to be incarnated, to be wrapped up in flesh, here he is on the edge of heaven, getting ready to leave. And he has this conversation, makes this statement to his father, I am here to do your will. Jesus honored his father over even his own comfort. Here's the third thing we see in context here. Jesus chose his death over ours. Jesus willingly chose his death over our death, our spiritual death, our eternal separation from God. This is what it says right here in in verse nine. I want you to see this again. I have come to do your will, Jesus said at the end of the conversation. So Jesus does away with the first, the old covenant, the animal sacrifices, in order now to establish the second. You see, the three things we always longed for when we lived in the shadows, when we lived in a place of desperation, when we lived under the old covenant, now those things have been set aside and the new has been established so that now every man, every woman in this place today who is in Christ Jesus, listen, you have access to God. Every person in Christ Jesus at Highland today, you can now have assurance of your salvation, a security of your salvation because of what Christ Jesus has done because he chose his death over your death. And now we can have total, complete, and lasting forgiveness. Consider this with me. Jesus was actually the king who was born to die so that we could live forever. Now, Thanksgiving. I told you to hold on. I'd finally get there. Look at the screen behind me at those three things. If you can't think of anything else to be thankful for this week, you can praise Jesus that Christ saw our desperation over his own position. You can thank God this week that Jesus chose to honor, to obey his father even over his own comfort. You can choose this week to have a heart that overflows with thanksgiving, with gratitude, that Jesus chose his own death over ours. Those are thanksgiving, activating, praise-inducing thoughts. So this week, as you consider 
coming of Thanksgiving, the coming of Christ, the soon arrival of Christmas. Let's see what Christmas must have looked like from the edge of heaven. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us today. A glimpse of the pre-Christmas conversation between the Father and the Son. And how all here today who are in Christ Jesus, we are the recipients, we are the beneficiaries of a Christ that chose his death over our death. That chose to do something about our desperation over just remaining in heaven and all the comforts that come with being the heir of all things. Jesus, we praise you today. Our hearts are overwhelmed with gratitude and the depth of love you have displayed toward us in the cross of Christ. Thank you for a small glimpse of a pre-Christmas conversation in heaven's edge. While we were desperate and wretched and living in the shadowlands with the impossibility of our sins being removed, Jesus, you stepped up to the plate and said, I've come to do your will, O God. And you've prepared a body for me. Send me. Send me. Father, we thank you. What gratitude we have. In Christ we pray. Amen.